What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or oh, very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we discover what makes a best-selling novel while trying to write, publish and market one in just a year. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. So, Mr. Stay, I think it's about time we got a bit emotional. Yeah, totes emotion. Um, <laughs> it's just, this is something we, we've hit a bit of a wall in our book in that we've got scenes that should be emotional, should have some kind of emotional heft, and it's not quite getting there yet. And I, I sent you a note the other day saying, ah, you never get it on the first draft, or you do it the second time around, but then I'm not so sure of that. But there's an author I know who has uh, sold over 5 million copies of over 20-plus novels. And if you read her reviews on Amazon, I'll read some out for you. So we have, what a lovely, heartwarming book. I love the characters and the storyline. The ending made me cry. You couldn't have finished this book better. I have all Erica's books, but this one touched my heart deeply and was in tears when I reached the end because I did not want to say goodbye to the friends I'd just made. An excellent storytelling with wonderful characters. You really care about the past and present are seamlessly joined a must-read. My heart broke several times. I can only imagine how Erica must have felt when writing the book. And welcome to the show, best-selling author Erica James. How are you today? Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I didn't realise that I made people cry so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do you do it? No pressure. Tell us now. <laughs> well, I, I do kill people off in my books quite a bit, and even characters that you're not expecting to die. Um, I think that's been done quite well in, in a big series on the telly, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> But yeah, I've, I haven't been afraid to bump people off at times. And certainly in my last book, Song of the Skylark, even I <laughs> sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I, yeah, I didn't expect to feel that way. I saw something the other day. It was uh, it was a quote from North. I can't remember who it was, but they uh, they said that unless they cry when they're writing, they can't expect their reader to cry. Do you think that's true? Oh, definitely. Yes. I think, you know, well, I've always said that I write from the heart. So then that means, and I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but it's true. If you're only writing from your head, you're not going to get that emotional depth, I don't think. People over the years or readers have said to me that they um, think that I really uh, empathize 
with um, the characters that I, you know, create. And I think that's true. And maybe that's at the heart of what I do. Uh, there again, I mentioned the word heart. And it is. It, it, the heart has to be in the, the story, the characters, and the settings. As the writer, you've got to love everything that you're doing, really, even the bad characters. Okay. okay. We did have... Um... We had John York here a few weeks ago and he quoted, I think it was Jimmy McGovern who said he does his first draft with his head and his second draft with his heart, which is probably where Mark, I was, uh, that was what I was alluding to, mm. I think. Mm. Is that a familiar pattern to you or are you from the heart straight away? Actually, uh, that is quite a good way of putting it. That um, I think it's a bit of both for me. When I do the first draft, I am literally just throwing the story down. It doesn't matter how many mistakes are in there or how much I've, I get wrong um, or how many blanks I leave. But I still there's still um, the emotional content there as well. Although that book I was just talking about, Song of the Skylark, I didn't know how to end that one. I knew it had to have a sad-ish ending, and maybe it was because I was frightened to do that in this instance because I wrote the first draft and um, actually left the ending. For the first time ever, I didn't end it because I didn't know how to. And then I went all the way back to chapter one to do the final draft and um, I, and I waited and waited for inspiration to hit me how the book was going to end. And I was very, very near the end when it it came to me what I had to do. And what was your problem with that? ending was it just something that was too difficult for you to write emotionally or uh, I knew what had to happen I didn't know how to do it properly and it was weird uh, recently I was in Norway doing an, uh, an interview um, for this same book that had been translated and um, the interviewer was actually asking some really perceptive comments about this character Mrs Dallimore um, who I absolutely loved, and and that is the sad ending. And I don't want to sort of spoil the ending too much for people, but um, this interviewer made me cry. And oh. I know he was really—I mean, not not in a nasty way. He didn't hit me, you know? <laughs> but he he kept probing. And and you're not going to make me cry now, are you? <laughs> we usually you make our bar. guests cry at some you set point. The bar, Erica. You set the bar <laughs> so high. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! I think we better but get I a will... Kleenex right now. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing was this. Um, interview he wasn't actually the interviewer he was the photographer who was accompanying oh. me <laughs> and he actually took one look at me as, as my eyes were welling up and he said I think we better do the photos now before you really cry <laughs> but and even afterwards I was I was really quite upset oh, well look have some tea we're oh. having tea. sorry you I, can't join us Mark. I've got to I say I'm have... very disappointed you know you realize it's like seven o'clock in the morning here in Canada oh. I could seriously do I've got to say for everyone obviously you can't see the video of this but I've got to say this this teapot that Mark has found from somewhere <laughs> it looks it looks like something out of Aladdin doesn't it <laughs> I'm hoping we might be able to get three wishes to to maybe try and, and try and finish and who's book. the genie that's what I want to <laughs> exactly. know <laughs> it just appeared out of nowhere Erica I, I must say Erica it's, it's really it's lovely to have you on the show and it's fascinating because we haven't actually had we haven't actually had a romance writer on the show we've got oh. lots of thriller writers and uh, we've had, you know, kind of pure romance. And one of the things that, that we're really fascinated in is this idea of, of emotion. And when you think of romance, I mean, it, you instantly think of the word emotion. I was really interested in finding out, Erica, 
Was there a moment in your career as a writer where you suddenly, somebody said something to you or you switched on this idea of the emotional tap, you realized how important it was? Or was that something that you've always just naturally had as a writer? I think it comes naturally to me. It's um, just, oh, empathizing, putting myself in the shoes of the character. Also, I do cry quite easily over yeah. really silly things. But I think... I'm able to tap into emotions that I have or that maybe I didn't realize I had them. Um, an author once said to me that she could only write about happy things because she didn't want to put herself in a sad place to write sad things. I think I naturally have a, a very big sad part to my character, perhaps. Oh, can we all say, oh, <laughs> I think it's true. I think I've experienced a number of very sad things in my life, one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> we started her off. <laughs> like the size of this cake. Honestly, it's not much here. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a budget. <laughs> but no, being serious, it is, it's being able to empathise um, with the characters and getting that emotion down on the page. And I, I, maybe some authors are better at it than, than others. You know, right. In contrast, for instance, my books are not full of sex. You know? So I would much rather write about the emotional side of a relationship rather than the, you know, the, the graphic side of it. Mm. There's, there's a bit in your bio that talks about how you used to embarrass your sons by basically talking to strangers in the street. Now, there are authors who are people watchers, but I get the feeling that you're someone who likes to engage with people and hear their stories and hear their voices. Is, does that inform you as a writer? Yes, always. I've just been on a two-week holiday and um, constantly on the lookout for someone's good story to write about. To say I'm a people person, does that sound a bit cheesy? Or no. I spend a lot of time on my own, you know, writing. You know, it's a solitary experience. And, and it's, I'm a very self-contained person, so I'm never lonely when I'm writing. But you can't write in a vacuum. You have to come out and meet people. And, um, and it's being around people. You just hear the most extraordinary things. Um, somebody, a reader, emailed me just this week with, sort of like a mini life story. Um, wasn't entirely sure it would be anything that I would want to write about myself, but um, but I'm always grateful when somebody does want to share something with me because you never know when it's going to be useful. And, you know, I am like the proverbial magpie, always on the lookout for something bright and shiny <laughs> and with tears attached to it. <laughs> and do you find, Erica, with with this idea of empathy, have you found that, that happens when you're just chatting with people. You kind of almost pick up very strongly on their sense of emotion that they're feeling. Oh, I don't know whether I'm as clever as that. I, I am very judgmental, instantly judgmental. I can tell whether something is worth listening to or not, or whether I just glaze over. Um, that's making me sound very... It's like our podcast listeners, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> Glazing over, yeah. Yeah, um... Yes, I, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, my honest answer to your question, yeah, really. Sorry about reason, that. <laughs> that's all right. No, the reason I ask, Erica, is it's funny. I just had a conversation with with somebody about four or five weeks ago, and I'd never heard of this term before. Somebody who's an empath, and they literally, they literally feel and pick up 
the emotions of somebody that they're very close to. So if somebody's feeling really sad, they literally almost take on those emotions as if they're almost in almost like a psychic kind of ability. That, that's and Deanna it, Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. I think you're describing ah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if some authors actually have that natural, that almost that ability where they're like the fact that you can actually put it into the character and you have this kind of essential empathy for the character. It sounds to me like that's almost one of the key things that you need in order to kind of emotionally feel what your character's feeling. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes, I think I'm going to take that one. It's my own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's sort of channeling, isn't it? It's channeling that um, yeah. emotion that you pick up from someone else, perhaps. But of course, you've got to remember that 90% of what any author writes is from the head, from the, you know their imagination. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. I'm I'm trying to think if I've ever taken sort of wholesale someone else's emotional situation i don't think i have because that, that that might feel a bit weird i think you're right i think it comes through the filter of you isn't it like you say you're looking at people having conversations or on holiday and you're maybe looking for someone that you see them through your kind of prism if you like and 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 think you can present them as a character is that i mean what sort of person do you go looking for? what sort of person catches your eye when you're out and about oh oh i never know because because no, it's always <laughs> Oh, because you never know when that golden nugget is going to land in your lap. So you sort of scoop it all up. Um, I think mostly over the years, it's been subsidiary characters that I have gathered up from being on holiday. Um, in, In one of my much earlier books, The Holiday, I have a couple called Dolly Babe and Silent Bob. And they, they were based on two characters who I practically stalked in the hotel where I was staying because I was so fascinated by them. I couldn't stop watching them. <laughs> um, and, you know, Silent Bob lay on a sun lounger all day with his laptop and a pipe in his mouth and a comb over. <laughs> and and his his wife, I presume she was his wife, was had this sort of, well, she was rake thin and never without a glass in her hand and wore this white swimsuit that had never been any near any water, I don't think. <laughs> and um, I just, I, you know, I had no idea what they were really like, but I decided what they were right. like and I used them in my... That's, that's fascinating because I remember someone asked John Cleese, he talked about Sybil and Basil Fawlty, and someone said, well, they hate each other. How did they get together? And he said, but... I know couples, so many couples like this. And you have to ask, as you have seen this couple on your holiday, what's their story? How did they get together? And, of course, you start filling the gaps yourself. So that's that, that works for you, does it? Definitely. And actually, I love, because I always travel alone, so that's very easy then to <laughs> eavesdrop on other people's conversations. <laughs> and um, I love the bickering that goes on amongst the couples. <laughs> no, I'm not going to sit there. It's not my turn to sit. There. I want to sit there. No, I'm not going to eat in that restaurant. And on it goes on. <laughs> and yet, you, you again, you start filling in the blanks and you wonder what's the glue that keeps that one together. You know? yeah. Wow, I like this idea of going on a holiday to find new characters. I could get quite used to that. That's a fantastic idea. <laughs> it's brilliant. One of One of the things that we're struggling with in our book right now, Erica, is that we've We've got some quite intense scenes, but they're they're not. Some of them are not kind of very emotionally 
deep yet. There's, there's not really the kind of emotional feeling when you read it. When you find that you have a scene in your book that doesn't quite hit that button emotionally, what do you do to, to work that scene to really bring the emotion out of it? Oh, um, I don't think I've ever had that problem. Actually, I did oh, a little Miss Smug now, you see. <laughs> um, it just comes. It just comes from the heart. <laughs> it's either there or it isn't. I should give up, boys, if I were you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we've, we've, we've tried many. Erica, we honestly, Sorry. we've tried many times. We, we try many times, but we keep coming back. But you said like it comes from the heart. I mean, like I say, you're seeing life through your own filter, if you like. You're applying your own emotions, your own... Uh, experiences to these characters. I mean, is is that how it works for you constantly? It is. Uh, I just am able to bring something to it that um, I don't know. It, gosh, I, I I feel I'm all at sea with doing this because I'm. It's something that's instinctive. It's like asking me, "How do I breathe?" Well, I just do. Okay. <laughs> yes. Now you've just you've just delivered. Your next novel, You've, you have just come from a meeting with your editor. Mm-hmm. And this is, first of all, um, what draft are you on when you deliver it to an editor? What, what sort of, how many times has that, have you rewritten that before you feel confident enough to hand it over? Um, the fi- Well, I call it my final draft. So it's the second draft. I used to do three drafts, um, but now I've got it down to just the two. So the first draft is so rough. I would be so embarrassed if anyone saw it. It would no one would ever think that that was the work of a proper writer. Yeah. Um, and then the, the final, what I see is the final draft is I'm fleshing all the characters out, um, polishing, just trying to get it as right as I possibly can. Then it, so my editor has um, read it and my agent has also read it. Um, so now we've just gone through that process of Harriet and I, we've been discussing the various points that she thinks that I need to um, maybe add some more emotion to, <laughs> or maybe <laughs> even take some emotion out, <laughs> or, you know, there are this, all the various points that you have to go through. Um, you know, this is my 21st book, so I've been through this, <laughs> this process enough times to, um, you know, to be used to it. So I will now go home and spend the next few weeks um, doing some rewrites some of which will be very easy to do, some of which I will need to apply myself to and think, how am I going to do that? Um, Then it will go, you know, the manuscript will go back to Harriet and it will then go to the copy editor. Then it will come from the copy editor and I will look at it again. And then we have the the final typesetters um, uh, manuscript. But I, I treat each one as um, an opportunity to get it absolutely right. Um, and I have to say, by the end of that process, I never want to see that book ever again <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> so how long does your your first two drafts take before you hand it over to an, ed- an editor? How long are you working on that? This one has taken just over a year or thereabouts. I had a false start, oh. which is bit scary I'd written 11 chapters and just knew it wasn't working I was waking up each morning with without a spring in my step shall we say mm-hmm. just that fear that or that that nudge of fear that something wasn't working so I hit the delete button wow that's quite a mm. bold move <laughs> yeah. is that does that 
first of all, how do you know when something is wrong? And, and what spurred you on to take that decision? You didn't want to just pursue and try and fix it? Do you know, it was an emotional response to it. Right. I wasn't feeling the love, shall we say, yeah. for the characters. I didn't care about them. Mm. So, yeah, so that that told me all I needed to know. Um, you have to care about the characters on the page. They have to seem real. You have to care about what's going to happen to them today, tomorrow, in a, in a week's time. Their story has to matter to you. And those 11 chapters contained some characters that I didn't <laughs> care about. That's fun. fascinating, Erica. It's almost like the emotion is a feedback loop to you as well. Yeah. Yeah, it so was just... that it's not working. Yeah, it, and it was quite scary. And I, I hit the delete button and then <laughs> told my editor. <laughs> because obviously that meant it was time out of my work schedule that, oh, I've lost all that time. So I've basically got to go back to the drawing board and start again. So, so this is, you know, I needed extra time then to, to deliver this one. Um, is there any remnant of that book in your new book? There was just one character that I kept that, um, yes, that, but she she turned out a little differently to how I thought she might be. Um, but, yes, it's an interesting question from you, actually. Yeah, there was just the one that I kept. Yeah, I'm a great recycler. I don't like throwing <laughs> stuff away. If I've worked on something, I, I usually put it in a drawer and, yeah. and think maybe one day that might come in useful. But there wasn't a point where you thought, I, I'm just going to persevere with this. I mean... That must come from experience. Have you had any false starts like that before? Um, yes, I have had, not on that scale though, not having written 11 chapters. That did actually seem a lot. Um, no, I, oh, my book, A Sense of Belonging, I had written, I think I'd written the first two chapters and I woke up you know, the next morning and thought, no, 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 no. Who's this character? Do I need this character? No, I don't. So out the window she went, oh. yeah, so ruthless as well. But you have to be, and you can't be precious about it. You know, you think, oh, no, 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 that, that, all that chapters, that's wonderful. I couldn't possibly change that. Mm. I mean, when you start out writing, you, you think every word that you write is, <laughs> is wonderful, and then you soon realise, no. <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> We've found that out the hard way, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Of all the emotions that you, you write about, Erica, which is there one in particular that seems to touch the reader the deepest? When I kill a character, that's the one. Said <laughs> it far too much, relish. Right. <laughs> because I've made them care about that character, and then I've done, you know, done the unspeakable thing. I've, I've killed them. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes you know it's it's hard for me to let go. Yeah, so as a writer, you mustn't be afraid to part with someone that you care about. Yeah, is there a danger though that just bumping someone off can feel like a, a sort of a, a, a cheap trick? I remember when we were writing, when John and I were writing um, the first draft of Robot Overlords, we had a gang of kids having an adventure. And we thought we'd be clever around sort of a third of the way into the film. We had a scene where all the kids but two were killed off. <laughs> and we thought, this is great. They won't be expecting that. They won't see that coming. And we gave it to, um, actually, Mark, it was Mark Huckabee and Nick Osler <laughs> who read the script, who, you know, as we know, have written great children's television. And they said, uh, you've written a kid's film where you kill off all the kids. You're going to traumatise kids. He said, Nick gave me the, my favourite note ever, which was he said, I want 66% less infanticide. <laughs> 
And I think, I think there is a danger that you can try that by being clever and, and it just doesn't work. It comes across as a gimmick. But as you said, you make people care for them first. Yeah. And often I don't realise myself that I'm going to kill these characters right, off. Right. It, it comes as much a surprise as a surprise to me as it will to the reader. So it's a crime of the heart. It's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. you know, pre-planned murder, cold-blooded murder. No, often, it, it genuinely, because the way I write, I make it up as I go along. I don't have a synopsis, don't have a, you know, this sort of roadmap to follow. And so I, you know, I set all the characters up, set the story rolling, and then just <laughs> this voice in my head says, kill them, kill them. <laughs> <laughs> she seems so nice when she came into the pod booth. I know. I'm worried now about this voice in your head. Zone. You're safe in Canada. I'm stuck in the room. <laughs> There's a know, big knife here for the Victoria sponge. Yeah. I think it's fascinating, though, because I think it's it's really important to touch on death within novels because it's it is part of ironically part of the human experience that none of us experience until it happens and then it's really too late by then but i think it's so deep seated in all of us isn't it this idea of i think a lot of people live their life through the fear of death and you know yeah. they're worried about you know dying so they'll they'll watch what they eat or they'll try and keep mm -hmm. fit not because they want to keep healthy because they're worried about you know not making it through the next 20 years. And so I think when you, when you play with death, uh, you must be tapping into something very, very, very deep within each of the reader's psyche. Yeah, I, I think we, we reach an age, don't we, when we lose people and we know that it hurts to lose someone, you know, whether it's your parents or a friend. or And once you've experienced that loss, or maybe it's just a matter of, having someone in your life that you, you know, it would break your heart to lose them. Um, you, you can then, um, you can relate to the emotions that the, the author is putting across because, you know, as you say, it's this fear of death. But it's, it's more of the, for those living, it's the, um, the fear of losing a loved one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you're taking the characters you care about because I think the classic kind of Hollywood thing is always to kill off the baddie but actually i'm seeing more and more now in in shows like game of thrones for example where they 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 build up you know this character to the point where you're you're absolutely in love with them and then they get rid of them and it mm -hmm. keeps repeating yes. and i think yeah it's fascinating to see see that in an action because it is really reflecting what happens in real life it's more painful in some ways to lose someone that you love than it is for the baddie to get killed off. So, oh, yes, definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's, yes, it's too, too easy to kill, um, you know, the baddie character off, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And, and have you ever cares? bought one of your – well, that's it. Have you ever bought mm. one of your characters back to life, though, due to kind of reader – um, outrage. <laughs> <laughs> or an editor, as an editor yeah, yeah, said, yeah, don't bomb them off. Yeah. Um, oh, my agent did say of – Song of the Skylark. Ooh, there's a high death rate in this book, isn't there? I said, oh, it's the Second World War. What else do you expect? <laughs> I mean, this, this idea of death and sacrifice, it's something you see in storytelling all the time, particularly in the hero's journey kind of idea. It's something I see Disney and Pixar do very well, where even if the, the hero doesn't die, there will be some kind of sacrifice, some kind of loss. I was really impressed with um, uh, How to Train Your Dragon. I don't know if you've seen that. Wonderful animated film. And 
spoiler if you haven't seen it, but he, the boy loses a foot at the end. You know, he, he is, and it's that, it goes back to that Greek thing of heroes losing arms and legs and, you know, you've got Luke Skywalker losing a hand and his dad losing a hand. And there is always some element of sacrifice in your hero that, you know, they, they've been into the, the dragon's lair and they've been damaged somehow, but they still kind of claw their way out, I guess. But it's some, I, I think this is this idea of stories taking you to the edge of your experience, taking it as far as it will possibly go. And that's an emotional thing as well, I guess, isn't it? It's um, Yes, it is. I, I think when you're talking about heroes losing bits of their limbs and what have you, or on a sort of lesser extent, it, it's showing, you know, you have a strong character, but showing their vulnerability. And again, that's, that's an emotional connection that the reader makes um, with, with the characters in the, in the book. Um, yeah, vulnerability is, is quite a key element. You might want to think about that. Really. Yeah, no, that is, that is. I think uh, you're absolutely onto something there because even your biggest hero has to have some kind mm. of Achilles heel, don't they? Yeah. Something that, yeah. that, that gets to them. I know we're talking in these kind of mythical terms and your writing mm. is much more contemporary than that. But I think that applies to whatever you're writing really, isn't it? Definitely, yes. And I think I didn't realise that I did this, but after I'd written however many books, I suddenly realised that I definitely had sort of themes that I followed. And it it, it was vulnerability, making, mm-hmm. you know, having this very strong character, but then sort of bringing them low, maybe. This, this <laughs> leads to question of the week, actually. That, that's a brilliant segue. <laughs> Thank you throughout that. Um, we had... Um, we had a tweet from uh, our friend Ed on Twitter, who is at Nihilis, and he says, is it a problem if I'm noticing I'm writing the same thing again and again? Mm-hmm. In 2014, he wrote a novella about, and I won't give his plot away because he's, he's still working on this project, but it's, uh, it's essentially a dystopian kind of story with similar themes. And then in 2015, he wrote a novel, and he's rewriting it now, and he's, he's just kind of realised during his re- rewrite, it's essentially covering the same things. Is that something you see a lot in, all, in other authors? The fear of repeating oneself, yes. I live with that fear constantly. <clears throat> Various... Things crop up in my books again and again. Water, for instance. I had no idea I was doing this until I did, maybe I'd written 10 books. And the sea will be there or a lake or a mere or a pond. But one way or another, water is there. And I can only assume it's because I grew up by the sea. And so water in some way, you know, and I'm very fortunate. I spend time in Lake Como. So there's... I've seen your photos on Instagram. It's very nice. (laughs) Is George Clooney constantly popping around to borrow coffee? Oh, he never calls. He never (laughs) writes. (laughs) He's very shy. Very shy indeed. Yeah, so I clearly have an affinity with water and it, it just insinuates its way into my, my books. The, the new one, um, has, a very large lily pond in it, <laughs> but themes, uh, yeah. In terms of, you spoke of vulnerability being. Yes, there. I'm just sort of thinking of <clears throat> again earlier books where I had, oh, you know, a, a perfect couple who had it all until I, <laughs> I, I, um, I took their son away. Basically, their two year old little boy. You're evil. Yeah, aren't I? Yeah. And, and, and that was a ploy entirely because my agent said at the time, he said, Erica, why will the reader like this character, Ali, when 
you know, she's going to do this terrible thing and she does plan to do this terrible thing within the novel. So I had to find a way to make the reader care about Ali. So by killing her child... <laughs> um, but actually, what I, I related more to her husband or her ex-husband's emotional vulnerability to that because there's something about, you know, a father and a son, a father losing his son. I don't, there's just something there. I don't, I don't think I can even put it into words. Um, and, yeah, so poor Elliot was absolutely on his knees with the, you know, he lost his son and then he loses his wife in, as well because their marriage breaks down because of that. And but I'm I, guessing, going back to Ed's question, mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, you, you may feel like you're writing the same thing again and again, but you are putting in words how you see the world, the things that are important to you, the things that move you emotionally. So you're essentially going to be retreading the same ground again and again, but presenting it in a different way each time. Would that be fair? Yes, I suppose so. Although they assume that my viewpoint is the same as maybe the really... the good character. Actually, my viewpoint might chime more with the betty character. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually <laughs> making, yes, getting my own nasty viewpoints across in a very subtle way. <laughs> and okay. nobody, nobody would dream that they could possibly be coming from my head. <laughs> so, Erica, you wrote Gardens of Delight, which won the Romantic Novel of the Year Award, which is fantastic. And as two guys starting out writing this book, we never imagined, really, I think, in our wildest dreams that we would actually end up with some kind of relationship happening in our book. But it's it's kind of started to happen. And so here are two guys in their 40s trying to write this <laughs> kind of these, these two characters where romance is starting to blossom. Not what between us. I hate not to between us. I'm happily I'm married. Yeah, I must make that clear. <laughs> yeah, we're having a bromance on the podcast. That's <laughs> yeah. completely separate. Yeah, that's, that's completely separate. And so but, you're going um, to ask me how you two can get that emotion into this this relationship on the on the page. Yes, well, it's 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 from the female's perspective as well, and that's that's the interesting bit. You know, that's something that we didn't anticipate. So we wonder if you have any advice for us as to what we can really bring out to, to make that. You know, work oh, in the novel. I'd say ask your wives. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yes, I think, yeah, yeah you just. Um, I'm no good at giving advice to people on how to write the, the best selling novel. Or, oh, I don't know what, what I'm do doing half of... the time. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just throw words down. Oh, that's good. Well, at least that, that gives us some hope. That gives us some hope. Yeah. Do you think there's any key elements within? a romantic relationship that are really important. I mean, obviously, I guess there's got to be some arguments thrown in there for reality. Yes, but then, it, oh, yes, you're in danger of becoming a bit cliched then, aren't you? By, mm. you know, okay, you've got to have boy meets girl, and, boy meets, and then they <laughs> there's a bit of friction, and then somehow they get it all back together again. I think that, in a way, is exactly what you've got to try and avoid. If you, um, I mean, you said an interesting thing earlier, which was you have a, the perfect couple until yes you know so is that uh, is that again bringing out your wicked side is that you deciding to play god with characters and disrupt their lives and and see how far you can test them well yes you are playing god with every book aren't you really you creating this perfect world perhaps and just then throwing this bomb into it and disrupting it all um and then the rest of the novel is sort of creating order out of the chaos you've created 
Um, I think the challenge that we're facing, Erica, is that we didn't expect this relationship to really happen. But we're also, I guess, in two minds right now. We're thinking, are we just putting this in because we think we need a love interest? Because that's important. Um, have you ever found a situation where you've you found just you found the relationship that it's it's really just a filler relationship and you've removed it because that's the point where we're not sure whether we should go with with or without that actual subplot oh no that's never happened to me i've always known that it was right what i was doing Mm. um with a couple who meet do you find that readers have expectations of what they want from your books Are there things that you feel that you have to deliver for your readers? I'm known for writing um, uplifting novels, Uh, sad. uh, I make the reader smile, maybe laugh a little, cry a little, um, be angry. So lots of emotions here. Um, And but by the end of it, they they are they're happy to have known those characters. Mm. I think that's the, the. general feedback I get that people have really enjoyed spending time with the characters and so that's what you've got to do with yours then isn't Mm. it you've got to care about this couple who supposedly meet and are going to fall in love but are they (laughs) well we care we certainly care about our protagonist we think she's great as for the dude we're not so sure but (laughs) well therein lies your problem you've got the wrong man (laughs) That's good advice. That's a good. That's that's actually very insightful, Erica. I can, I can tell you that is very insightful. Yeah, that's just made a, a penny click at my end. Yeah, I think it has. I mean, there is. I mean, I, there's one argument which I've sort of posited from the beginning, which is she doesn't need a man. She can make her own way in the world. And I think that's quite a modern message as well. You know, I think that's something that readers might chime with. But. Um, our book isn't a romantic novel with a capital R, but there, you know, you like to have a a, a kind of a romantic element to every story, I, I guess, mm. um, unless it's a horror slasher. But you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, digging deep, isn't it? It is. It is trying to find something within yourself to put on the page, I guess. Is that something uh, that you do consciously, or is it something like you said? Does it does it just come to you? It, it's not very helpful, I'm afraid, but it does just come to me. It, it's an instinct, um, and I think it's always been there with me, and I, I can't explain why. Um, like I said earlier, it's, you know, you, I can't explain to you how I breathe. I just do. <laughs> you know, air fills my lungs somehow, and then it comes out. <laughs> and, um, so also, I've never seen my books as being... Romantic novels, um, yeah, it, they're, they're stories. They're stories about people, they're stories about people who like one another, who don't like one another, who are going through easy times, difficult times. And the emo- the sort of relationship side is almost, if I say secondary, that, that's not quite right, but it's not the point of the novel. No. I mean, Song of the Skylark is uh, a friendship between a young woman and an older woman, isn't yes, it? So that yes. what what made you want to explore that? Oh, because I love that that mix of young and old, um, and the young learning from the old. And the, as the, the older I get, <laughs> the more I like this. <laughs> yeah, I just you know, young people get a bad press, and old people get a bad press, and and it's all so on on necessary we're just people and but older people have so much to 
give, to pass on. And we're very stupid if we don't listen to, uh, you know, learn from their mistakes, perhaps. And in, in that particular story, Lizzie has lots to learn. And uh, the lovely Mrs. Dallimore is quite keen to help her in, in her sort of funny little way. Yeah. And where did the spark of that come from? Were they based on people that you knew? Or was it, again, was it you spotting someone on holiday? Or Oh, well, a bit of a confession. The, the character of Lizzie came to me. Oh, unfortunately, it was some friends of mine were telling me a story about their daughter who had had a, an affair with somebody at work and who'd ditched um, the long-term boyfriend. Right. And they did say to me, no, Erica, you mustn't. <laughs> you really mustn't, Erica. I waited a few years and, and then dressed it up in a completely, you know, different sort of <laughs> situation entirely. Um, but, yes, uh, <laughs> this particular friend, she, she did read the book last year and she said, yes, Erica, you did, didn't you? <laughs> but she was say- a... Erica, when people pop over to your house for a cup of tea, do, do they ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who says they're invited to come and have a cup of tea? <laughs> or that they want to, more to the point. <laughs> yeah, oh, but, that's brilliant. Yeah, I so imagine. I do, I have pinched something. You know, that, that was this spark, uh, uh, you know, my friend's daughter. Actually, what really triggered it was their response to losing the young man who they thought was their future son-in-law because they had emotionally invested in him. Mm. They, they thought he was part of the family, had been for a number of years already. And so suddenly for him, no longer to be a part of their family, they, they were devastated. Yeah. Yeah, you hear um, that happening a lot, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that, that sort of stayed with me. So I... Within the storyline, it wasn't just Lizzie and the sort of the cataclysmic you know, fallout of her actions. It was about what happened to her family as well, how disappointed they were. And, and you know, Lizzie's parents were great friends with the... the um, the, the, the parents of yeah, the, 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 boy, yeah, yeah. the boyfriend, the yeah. ex-boyfriend. Yeah. So the, this sort of ripple effect. So that was sort of Lizzie's. But then the idea for Mrs. Dallimore um, just sort of came to me. I pictured this young, young girl on a ship, um, an ocean liner coming from New York to England because normally that story is done the other way around. Yeah, true. A girl on a ship yeah. going across the Atlantic to New York. So I thought... I'll just turn that one round, <laughs> yeah. And and the the book works in two timelines. You've got the modern day and then you've yeah. got yeah. Um, moments in the past as well. Mm. Um, that takes some research. Quite a few of your novels have had an historical aspect to them. Mm. And we've we've asked this question of a lot of authors, which is how do you do your research and how do you resist the temptation to put it all in? Oh, yes, a light hand, that's what's required. You do hours and hours of research, and, of course, the Internet is just brilliant for doing that, and you can waste a whole day just doing that, can't you? Because you, you start out looking for one thing, you find something else, and the next thing you know, best part of the day is gone. Um, books also, um, you know, reference books I use. Um, but it is it is knowing that you have to have a light touch when you put right. the research in. Um, yeah, because it, it mustn't you mustn't bore the reader with it, and you mustn't try and show off. Oh, look how clever I am that I did all this research and I know all about this now. And you know, it's like the reader. No, no, no. The reader just wants the story. And uh, we we noticed that your 
your book, Song of the Skylark, was was an incredible, um, incredible selling novel, outselling people like Michael Connolly and, and Gillian Flynn yeah, in it 2016. Was, it was Orion's biggest single, biggest selling wow. ebook of 2016. I don't know if has anyone told you that, Erica? Well, somebody said something, but I didn't believe them. Okay, well, it is. It was our <laughs> single biggest really? selling ebook of 2016. Yeah, so yeah. Michael Connolly and Rankin Gillian Flynn wow. by some margin as That's well. Amazing. So congratulations, congratulations on that. So you're yeah. doing. Did something you, right? Yeah. <laughs> did you when you first started out in your career, Erica? Did you have yeah. this? Did you have any goals? I mean, I've looked at your <laughs> release schedule over the last the twenty-one books that you've done. And it seems very consistent. I mean, mm-hmm. did you ever set out with the dream of becoming a best-selling author? No, 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 no. I I started writing um, because I was unhappy, and I it was escapism. Right. Yeah, it was putting myself. I literally created another world in which I could sort of spend my time. Right. Yeah, mm. that was the very first book. So it's interesting. My very, very first book, Breath of Fresh Air, was written at the most unhappiest time in my life and was sort of quite a funny book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> funny in a good way, or meant to be funny, you know, humorous. Um, yeah, so, but no, I just I wrote because I needed to be somewhere else, not because I wanted to be a best-selling author and make lots of money. And I, and I, you know, whenever I'm giving talks, I always, because I know there's always aspiring authors, you know, in the audience. I've never done a talk when there hasn't been somebody there. who. And um, I always say, write because there's nothing else you'd rather do. Um, you know, that it's, mm. don't write just because you think you're going to make a lot of money or you're going to be a best-seller. Just write because that's what you really want to do and you love doing it. That's I, think that's a, advice. I think that's a great place to wrap things up, don't you think, Mr. D? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure, Erica, having you on the show today. And so many words of wisdom, lots for us to go away and think about. I think for me, it's uh, it's it's definitely one of these things where we have to start using the instinct. That was a big thing for me. Don't you said that about the instinct? That's very very important. And yeah. Uh, Maybe to stop overthinking stuff, Mark. I think is uh, yeah. I think so. That that is that is an issue. I think you can get so wrapped up in something. I think sometimes you just need to step back and and go back and think about what made you write in the first place. What what was that initial driver? What was the initial thing that that made you put pen to paper? Um, but I think ultimately your message is right from the heart. Yes, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, every word should be from the heart. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And if if you'd like to find out more about Erica and her books, Erica, what's the best web address for people to to pop along to to find out more about you? Yes, it's ericajames.co.uk. That's my website. Your Instagram's really good as well, I have to say. You do a very good Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. You've got I mean, like I say, Erica does occasionally pop over to Lake Como, which is possibly the most beautiful place on earth. <laughs> You're also a bit of a Formula One fan as well, aren't you? Which... Indeed I am. Yes, that's more for Twitter though. The, I know, uh... but there you go. That's a fantastic <laughs> Formula One insight there as well. So if you're an F one fan, <laughs> definitely check uh, Erica out on Twitter. Um Please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to drop us a line, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com, where if you pop along to our newsletter, um, you will get by return a link to download the Writer's Vault of Gold, whereby we transcribe all of our interviews uh, with the likes of Michael Conley and Jabra Crombie and Joe Hill and Sarah Pimber and Brian Cranston, many, many, many more. And it's yours for free. 
So pop over there and get that now. On social media, we're on Facebook at Bestseller Experiment. Twitter is at Bestseller XP, as is Instagram. And we're on Pinterest too. Excellent. And Erica, before we head off, do you know when about your new book is due for publication? I think it might be January 2018. Fantastic. Mm. So <laughs> if it's, do pop along to your local bookstore or Amazon and check out Erica's new book at that time. And the other 20 or 21 that are already out there. And uh, you're an inspiration to me because I'm still just trying to finish my first novel, Erica. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see what's possible. So it's uh, it's been a fantastic, fantastic time. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Erica. Best of luck with those final edits in the new novel. Oh, thank you and, very much. Uh, we we'll look forward to seeing how the new novel does come the new year. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And it's goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye! Goodbye! Isn't it always the way, Mark, that as soon as we stop record, all the really interesting stuff yeah, starts I've to happen? Yeah, I've got to learn to keep the engine running, basically. So to, <laughs> to, to make this very brief, after we stopped recording with Erica, we're just saying goodbye. And Eric, Erica was kind of, she's a lovely, lovely person. And I think she was, she writes instinctively. You know, I mean, we had SK Quinn on a couple of weeks ago, who is an engineer, takes it to pieces, talks very methodically about how she writes. And then you have someone like Erica, who writes from the heart and just puts it all on the page and somehow shapes it. Neither one of those is the right way of doing it. They're both equally successful. You know, the, Erica has her successes selling millions of copies. SK Quinn has hers as well, saying, you know, both very, doing very, very well. And I think you have to find your own way in the world. But what was lovely, we we finished recording and Erica's editor, Harriet, came in with some artwork, a big sheet of paper with the artwork for Erica's new book on there, which looks fantastic. But what was great was it had the words at the top. And this is the first time Erica's ever had this because of her success last year. She had the words, number one bestseller across the top. And Erica was like a schoolgirl again. She said, oh, my God, I've waited my whole life for this. It's amazing. <laughs> and it was just so brilliant to hear her get so excited about it. There's someone who's, you know, been, in, been published for 20 years, has, uh, you know, over 20 novels, has sold millions of copies, but it's that thing of number one bestseller gets her giddy like that. It's just amazing. I just want to share that yeah. with, with the listeners because I thought it was such a wonderful, wonderful moment. Um, and it was so lovely of Erica to speak to us and what was re a really busy day, you know, delivering a book, talking to an editor about the edits. I just thought it'd be wonderful just to share that with with, uh, with the listeners. Anyway, that's it. Marvellous. Well, on that note, we better get back to writing. Yeah, think number one bestseller. Good night, everyone. Good night. Would you like some Victoria sponge, Erica? I, I would love some cake. <laughs> Tesco's finest, isn't it? It's the only reason why I've come. <laughs> to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.